wife to come right now and we're going to sing a special for you this morning. This song that we're going to be singing, this is one my aunt and uncle, they sing this one uh, quite a bit. And I really like this song. And I'm going to sing it for you today because you've never heard them sing it. If, if uh, you had heard them sing it, I wouldn't sing it. Uh, my uncle is a very good singer. Uh, one of these days I'd like to have him come here and, and preach and sing for you all. But there's a great message in this song and it goes along with the message I'm going to be preaching today. And this song is called He Didn't Throw the Clay Away. Empty and broken, I came back to Him. A vessel unworthy, so scarred by sin. But He did not despair, He started over again. And I bless the day, He didn't throw the clay away. Over and over, He molds me and makes me into His likeness, He fashions the clay. A vessel of honor I am today, all because Jesus didn't throw the clay away. He is the potter, and I am the clay, molded in His image, He wants me to stay. But when I stumble and I fall and my vessel breaks, He just picks up those pieces. He doesn't throw the clay away. Over and over, He molds me and makes me into His likeness. He fashions the clay. A vessel of honor I am today, all because Jesus didn't throw the clay away. A vessel of honor I am today, all because Jesus didn't throw the clay Amen. Amen. All right. We'll go to your Bibles and go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. That song that we just sang, it's based off of uh, several, there are several references in the Bible to God being the potter and us being the clay. And I've had I had that song in my head all week. I was just kind of singing that song in my head and I'm at work and I've kind of got that song in my head. And I started thinking about the passage in the Bible that it was from and I was thinking, you know, I need to preach a message along those lines. But then as I was kind of meditating on the scripture where that came from, I realized while that song, I believe, is accurate while that principle of God being the potter and us being the clay and Him being able to mold us and make us into what He wants us to be, while all that's true, 
all the passages in the Bible where it talks about that, it's actually talking about something else. It's talking about something very specific. And I'm actually going to preach on that tonight. Uh, so just kind of a teaser there for you. The real meaning of this story that we see in the potter's house. But tonight though, I want us to, or this morning, I want us to look at this principle of Christ, of God being the potter and us being the clay because these things are true. There are some great lessons that we can learn from this. Things that should be encouraging to all of us that should be a help. And I want to talk this morning about being a vessel of honor. We sang that in the song, a vessel of honor. We see that phrase looked at in 2 Timothy. But before we go there, we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to go to Jeremiah 18, then we're going to jump to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you want to find those places in your Bible. But it says in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, "...the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And I think we've all probably know a little bit about, you know, pottery and how that works. I actually talked to a guy here in town that has, uh, he's, he's crippled in his hands and he actually does potter work with his feet. And it's amazing what this guy is able to do with his feet. I mean, it just it blew my mind when I met this guy. We were out knocking doors one day, and yeah, he he makes pottery with his feet. I mean, and I can't even do it with my hands. I have no artistic abilities whatsoever. I can't even draw a good stick figure. So a lot of this is kind of hard for me to comprehend and understand. But under a potter, someone who is an artist, whether it be through pottery, whether it be through sculpting things, whether it be through painting, these people, they have this gift to be able to look at something and to see what it could be. They have the ability to, you know, to look at a hunk of rock that you and I wouldn't pay any attention to, and they see a carving of some beautiful work. They can look at a canvas and a bunch of paint, and they can envision a beautiful picture on there. And while that's completely foreign to me, the artistic part of my brain is completely dormant. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Uh, I do know that there are many people that can do these things. There may be some in here that are skilled in this area. But God says He tells Israel the same thing. Israel was a mess. And He He compares this clay that was marred in the hand of the potter, but that potter went and He remade it. He made it into something good, something that was really according to the will of the potter. It was a potter you know, who, or an artist. They make what they want to make, don't they? They've got a vision for something and they make it into what they want it to be. And God does the same thing in our life. And look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, "...but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Notice the vessels of honor. I imagine you know most of you probably have 
uh, you know, different sets of dishes in your house. Some of you might have the fancy dishes that you have put away maybe in a china cabinet somewhere that you only use on special occasions, alright? Those are your vessels of honors, right? And then you have your other vessels that you use that you use pretty much any time. And then, you know, you have like the paper plates and stuff like that. And, you know, when you have that important company over, maybe you break out the nice, you know, vessels. And, uh, you know, but maybe some people, ah, we can do the paper plates for these people. You know, a lot of times it depends on what you're cooking. And if I go to your house and use paper plates, I'm not going to be insulted. We've got a big family, right? That's a lot of dishes to wash, okay? And, uh, our kids, you know, they're good at breaking dishes too. But, you know, my wife, she had, she, I think she bought it at a second hand store or something. She's got like a silver tea set made out of actual silver. And I'm like, I'm always like, why don't we sell that? You know, it's silver. It's worth a lot of money right now, but, oh no, it's nice. And, uh, have you ever even used it? Yeah, for the, right, for the ladies' Christmas thing, she used it for that. You know, so you all got the vessels of honor uh, that day, so you ladies can feel good. I've never gotten anything out of there, but um, I, I would just like to sell it and get the money. But anyway, but you know, ladies, you got to let them have their stuff. But th- th- those are vessels of honor, and I think you all know what that's talking about. And we ought to want to be. A vessel of honor. We ought to be something that, you know, we ought to want to be something that God is proud of, something that God can use in a great way. But many times people will get to looking at themselves and they'll get into looking at other people and they'll think there's no way God can do anything with me. But understand what we need to, we need to understand is that He is the potter. We're just the clay and He can mold us into something good. He can make us into a vessel of honor even though there's not much to look at. Even though we've made some mistakes and we've failed, God can still change our lives and He can make us into something great. And we need one thing that we need to do, some things that we can learn from these stories is we need to learn to trust in the vision of the potter. Like I said, that person who has those artistic abilities, they look at things and they see what can be. There are some people in here, you can see a whole pile of lumber and building materials and you can see a building. You can see a house. Where some of us, we just see a pile of lumber and a pile of building materials. But man, you see something great that can be made from that. You have that ability. And understand that whatever we're looking at When it comes to yourself, whatever it is you see in the mirror, it's not necessarily the same thing that God sees. And we've got to learn to just trust Him. See, God, He sees things in a completely different way. I love the story in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 16. We see that there's this multitude of people there. They came to hear Jesus and they need something to eat and they're far away from their homes. If they leave and they don't get something to eat before, they're going to faint on the way. They're going to have a tough time making it home And verse 16, Jesus said to them, they need not depart. Give you them to eat. You know, the disciples though, they could only see what was right there in front of them. It says, and they say unto Him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. But Jesus said, bring them hither to Me. All they saw was enough food to feed just a few people. All they saw was what could just do a little bit. But Jesus Christ, He took that. Those five loaves. He took those two fish. He blessed them. He broke them. He touched them. And then what did He do? He multiplied them. And He fed a whole multitude. I mean, He didn't see it the same way they did. He saw, alright, that's enough. That's all I need. And you and I, we only can see what we can accomplish. But God, when He looks at us, He sees what He can accomplish through us. We only see what is, but God sees what can be. 
We only can see the outside, but it's God that sees the heart. You all know the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when Samuel came looking for a king. God only told him that it was somebody in the house of Jesse. And so he brings the oldest son first. And he looks at him and he's like, man, surely this is the king? And God said, no, he's not it. I've rejected him. He said, I don't see as man sees. Man sees the outside. But he said, I see the heart. And then it turns out it was the youngest. The last one that anyone would expect. The one that his own father didn't even bother bringing before Samuel. I mean, he, here's a guy, hey, one of your sons is king. And what is it? He didn't even think it could be David. Hey, he's the youngest. He's the shepherd. He doesn't even call him. And sure enough, he brings the six sons before him and he's like, is this all of them? Because none of these guys are it. And he's like, well, yeah, there's David. But yet it was David, wasn't it? It was David that God wanted to be the next king. And sure enough, God used David in a great way because God sees. He sees that heart. He sees what a person can be. We only can see what we can do, but God sees what He can do through us. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I love this story. We're not going to read the whole thing, but remember, God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush. And he tells Moses, I want you to go and I want you to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And Moses immediately objects. He starts talking about all his problems. And in Exodus 3.11, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And then if you go on and you read the story, God starts doing all these miracles to show Moses that, hey, this is for real. And you might remember, Moses took his rod and he threw it down and became a serpent. We see Moses, he got scared and he ran from it, which is probably what most of us would have done. But then he picks it up again, it's back into a rod. He goes and he tells Moses, you know, stick your hand inside your clothes, and he pulls his hand out and he's, his hand is white from leprosy. And so he, God tells him, put it in again, and sure enough, it comes out and it's completely clean. God's doing all these miracles. I mean, he's speaking to him out of a burning bush, a bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And you would think after seeing all this, Moses would be okay and would trust God. But yet when we get to chapter 4 and verse 10, God's still insisting, Moses, this is going to be you. This is you that's going to do this. And he says in verse 10, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech of a slow tongue. Hey, since before we started and since we've been talking, Lord, you haven't fixed my speech problem. I still am slow of tongue. You can't use me. And the Lord said unto him, notice this, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Notice God said, I'm the one that made everyone. I'm the one that made you. Okay, God, I'm the one that made you, Moses. When I made you, I knew you were going to have a speech problem. But you know what? Didn't I tell you I was going to be with you? You see, it wasn't really Moses that led them out of Egypt, was it? He was just the vessel that God used. Do you really think Moses had the ability to part the Red Sea? 
Do you really think Moses had the ability to bring all those plagues? It wasn't Moses. It was God, but yet God wanted to use Moses. And Moses struggled with just looking at himself. And thankfully, he got over that. He started trusting God. And Moses, he did quite a bit of talking, didn't he? I mean, for a guy who is slow of speech, when you read through Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he did a lot of talking. You know why? He finally got it figured out that, hey, this isn't me. This is God. God's just using me. And we've got to understand that that's how it is with us. You can talk about all your problems all you want and all the, you know, whatever your disability or whatever your holdup is that you think that stops you from being able to serve God, but understand that God made you who you are. God gave you the abilities that He wanted you to have. God gave you exactly what you needed to do whatever it is that He wants you to do. And the truth is, if it's to be a teacher, if it's to be a preacher or something like that, if God would have gifted you too much with eloquence and with great abilities, He probably knew you wouldn't use it for Him, you'd use it for yourself. I mean, think about it. I've often asked myself, you know, Lord, why didn't You... You know, make me a little better looking, Lord. You know, why couldn't I be? Uh, you know, you know, why, why couldn't I have more money? You know, Lord, why couldn't I have been born rich instead of good looking? And it's like no, I didn't get either of those, did I? And you know, you think those things, but you know what? If I would have had all the skill, if I would have had all the brains, if I'd have had all the looks, I might be somewhere using it for myself. I might be. You know, there's there's a lot of people. Sometimes they do they. They're not content with being where God wants them. It's like they feel like they can be better. They feel like they can be more famous. And they do. They get out of God's will seeking sometimes just for the limelight. Then, you know, there's people like me that know that I can't compete with the hot shots out there. I can't compete with the big shots. And so, I just try to be obedient to God and see if He can do something. And that's what God wants. And so, we've got to understand that God made us. And we've got to trust in what He sees. For us, we got to trust in His vision. You might think there's no way I could ever do that. Listen, you're just the clay; He's the potter. If He wants to, if He says He can make you into that, He can make you into that. He has that ability to do that. So we need to trust in the vision of the potter, but we also need to endure the work of the potter. You know, it's a process to get that clay formed into that vase or whatever it is they're trying to make into it there's a lot of things that they have to do you know they get it on those wheels and they spin it around and they got it they they try to form it they try to get rid of all the lumps and everything in there they try to shape it the way they want it to and then you you know what they end up doing after that they stick it into an oven it goes in the fire it goes through some of the heat and we'll look at that in a little bit but listen god's will and god's ways are often difficult aren't they in genesis chapter 50 verse 20 you all know the story of joseph and you see all the horrible things that Joseph went through when he did nothing wrong. But we see in chapter 50, verse 20, he says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph's brothers thought they were doing something bad. Joseph's brothers thought they were in control of the situation. Joseph probably even thought a few times his brothers were in control of the situation. But after it was all said and done, after the work had been completed, after Joseph had spent the night in a pit, after Joseph had got sold to Ishmaelites, after Joseph had got put into Potiphar's house, after Joseph had gotten falsely accused of something, after Joseph sat in prison for two years, 
After all those things, Joseph ended up becoming second in command, didn't he, in Egypt. Joseph ended up saving the lives of many, many people, including his family, including his own. They probably would have died in the famine. And at some point, after it was all said and done, Joseph realized, hey, there's a reason all these things happen. You know, I always thought this was my brothers that did this to me. I thought it was Potiphar's wife. I thought it was the Ishmaelites or whatever. But, turns out, this was God the whole time trying to get me to this point so I could save the lives of many people. And Joseph understood that, hey, this was God's will the whole time. But let me ask you, do you think Joseph would have picked for any of those things to happen? Do you think he would have, you know, he didn't ask his brothers to throw him in that pit and to sell him? He didn't ask to sit in a prison? He didn't do any of those things. We know he wanted to get out of prison. After he helped the butler and the baker and he interpreted the butler's dreams, he told him, he said, hey, when you get restored to your position, mention me to the king. And then the butler forgot about him. Why do you want him to mention him to the king? Because he wanted out of there. Okay? But it wasn't time yet. And let me tell you something. For God to get you where He needs you to be so He can use you in a great way, you know, it's not all easy street the whole way there. It's a process. It takes some time. It can be painful and difficult sometimes. But let me tell you, God knows what He's doing. He's got a plan. He knows what situation you're in. Many times the difficulties we face in our life, we find out they turn out to be blessings later on. Maybe we're able to be a help to someone else in that difficult situation. You know, all of us, you know, end up where where we are at through a whole combination of things. Most of which is out of our control, but understand God knows what's going on. God knows what's coming. God knows what's coming down the road in your life. He knows what's awaiting you. He knows what you're heading for. And so He prepares us for some of these things. And it's not always easy, but it's always best. We've got to endure the heat. They do. They take that pottery and after they get it shaped like they want to, they'll put it in that oven. And you know what? We see in Job chapter 23, verse 8, He says, Behold, I go forward, but He is not there. And we know Joseph went through the or Job went through the fire, didn't he? Job went through some very horrible things. He says, "Backward, I cannot perceive him." He's praying. It's like God's not around. What's going on? On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Job said, "According to everything I can see right now, he's like it appears that God is nowhere to be found. That God is not in control. I do not know why I'm going through these things. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like the right thing. And yes, according to my sight, according to my thinking, it appears that God's not here. But you know, Job still had his faith. And at the end, even after everything he saw said something opposite, he said, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. We sang sang those words in that song, Rejoice in the Lord. When I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. Okay, gold, like I'm wearing a gold ring right now. They didn't just mine it out of the rock like this. They went and they went through the fire several times. You know, they melted it. They tried to get rid of all the impurities and things that were in there so it could be pure gold. So it would be something that looked great. So it would be something that somebody would want to buy 
and wear on their finger. And before God can use us, sometimes He's got to clean us up a little bit. He's got to purge us a little bit. The Word of God, the Bible says the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Purified over and over again. Gone through the fire multiple times. And some of you in here, you've been through the fire multiple times in your life. But you know those fires, those difficulties, are what clean us up. Those are the things that can make us into that vessel of honor that God wants. And so we've got to endure that heat. Now most people are very quick to make good decisions, but they're even quicker giving up on those decisions. I mean, think about it. We all, you know, we all want to get in shape. You know, it's it's January, New Year's resolution time. We all want to get in shape, but you know, you get on that treadmill and you run, and it hurts, and you get tired, and you get out of breath, and you quit, and you quit before you should. You know, you all you, know, you want to eat right, but then your stomach starts growling. You get hungry. That sugar starts screaming for you. And you just... We give up. And we do that with everything. We let everything stop us from doing what we're supposed to do. Every little thing gets us out of the will of God. Every little thing stops us. And we've got to learn to just endure the heat. You've got to learn to you know, run through the pain. We tell our, I tell my kids that all the time. You know, they're paying, It's good for you. It's weakness leaving the body. You know, tough it out. Endure it. You know, just, you know, and, you know while... That sounds cruel. You know, there's a lot of truth in that. You know, we need to go back to, you know, schools having coaches that, you know, scream at the kids and yell at them and throw basketballs at their faces. And, you know, we, we need to go back to that stuff. Everybody, they're just too weak these days. We give up on everything. You know, when I, when I was growing up, man, you know, you didn't want to give up and stuff like that because you get called names. You get made fun of. And so, you know, you, you toughed it out. You endured it. And when you're a boy... Okay, we got nothing against girls here, but when you're a boy, you don't want to be called a girl. But when you wimp out everything, you get called a girl. And you know, I know that's politically incorrect these days, but guess what? It was a good motivator for me growing up. You know, and we need that. But we don't. We, we give up on everything. You're going to have to endure it. If you want to be a vessel of honor, you've got to allow God to put you through the trials. You've got to allow Him to put you through the fire. Let Him clean you up. Let Him purify you. And if you'll do that, you will be able to be that vessel of honor. But you're going to have to be patient. These things don't happen overnight. You don't get to just decide that, you know what, All right, I'm going to be super Christian starting now. Okay, and then boom, you're just super Christian. No, you're gonna to have to. It's gonna take some time. You don't, you know, you don't just go to the gym one time and work out and leave in shape. It takes time, a lot of time. You're gonna to have to go multiple times. You know, and people all the time. You know, I want to be. I tried going to church one time and it just didn't do anything for me. Well, you know, what? go to the gym one time and see how much good it does you. You know, go on a diet for one day and see how good that does you. Does you? You have to do things. You have to stick it out. You have to you know, put the time in, and it's hard. Okay, it's hard to be that vessel of honor. It's not going to be easy, but it can be done. You just got to trust the Potter. He knows what he's doing. He's trying to make you into something better. He's not trying to destroy you. Many times, you know, we act like we're being destroyed. You know, children when they're you know when they're being punished by their parents, you know, they do they scream and they act like they're dying. Aren't they? I mean, think about it. you know, kids when they're getting spanked. I mean, they do. They act like they're being killed and abused and tortured. 
And you know, all of you from the previous generations, okay, maybe if you're from the new generation you won't get this, but you know it's good for them, don't you? I know it's easy for me to admit that now because I'm not uh, you know, my dad doesn't spank me anymore, but he used to tell me that, hey, this is good for you. I didn't believe it then, but I believe it now. <laughs> it hurt, but it was good. It was what I needed. I learned lessons. I learned that you know there's pain that comes for as a result of bad decisions, you know, and you need to endure those. And even now, while I don't get spanked anymore, when I make bad decisions, I still get hurt, don't I? You know, and I got to face the consequences for those things. And so I'm glad I learned to avoid it. Nowadays, people think you ought to just be able to do whatever you want, and there not be any consequences. That's why they're inventing all the pills they are and trying to find. You know, there's a lot of diseases people are getting because. You know, if, if you get cirrhosis of the liver as a result of being a drunk, okay, what that should teach you is you shouldn't be a drunk. But what do most people do? Oh, we got to find a cure for that. Well, here's a good cure: don't drink. You know, millions and millions of people who don't drink are have their their liver is just doing fine. Oh no, no, no! We we we're not, we can't change our lifestyle. We can't do anything different. Sorry, it, it's just common sense. You know, you do drugs, you're going to have some mental problems. Oh, no, we just got to find a cure for the side effects of those drugs, which usually means another drug, right? And, you know, which usually means another side effect. And, and now we've got, you know, people these days that got these medicine cabinets just full of all these pills and pills and pills, and uh, they don't even know what's going on anymore. And then we wonder why there's so much mental illness nowadays. You know, maybe it's all that junk you're taking. So that's another message for another time. That was free. I'll just give you that right there. But we've got to be patient. It's going to take time. It's going to hurt. But it's going to be for the good. We'll be glad when it's all said and done. We've just got to trust God. And then finally, we need to be content with the finished product. Look at Romans chapter 9, and verse 20. What it says, remember, he's trying to make us into what he wants us to be. Okay, and we need to we need to accept God's will for our life. Now, and I know we've all got things that we want. I would prefer when God is forming my life and molding my life. I would it would be nice if He made me a millionaire with that. But from the way it's looking so far, God has no intention of me being a millionaire. Okay, it doesn't look like He's He's trying that. Um, so. Uh, but I've got to be content with what He wants for me. And Romans 9.20 verse says, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Hey, hey. a person who's a potter, said, I'm not a potter, but I don't think they have trouble with the pottery yelling at them saying, you know, I don't want you to make me a vase, make me into a bowl. Right? I know that sounds ridiculous. But you know what? It's just as ridiculous as us trying to tell God what He should do with our lives. It really is. We think we know better than the potter. We think we know better than God Almighty when He knows what's coming down the road. He knows our future. He knows the end from the beginning. We only can see the present and the past, and yet we think we know better than Him. We think we can tell Him what He should do with our life. We think we can get mad at Him because you know He's making us into something that maybe wasn't our idea. God knows what's best for our life, and we have no business 
speaking against God on those things. Moses had no business telling God, you got the wrong guy. God said, hey, I'm the one who made you. I make man's mouth. Are you telling me I don't know what I'm doing? God knows exactly what He's doing in our life. And what we just need to worry about is finding out what God's calling is for our life. What is it that God wants for you and your life? I know you probably have your own plans and things, but you know, one of the things I've noticed is people who just give it all to God, they usually end up getting many of the things that they wanted. You know, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And you know, we all say we want to be millionaires and things like that, but really, I think the main reason people want to be millionaires, they want to have the things that they need. They want to be able to do some of the things that they want to do. You know, there's all, and you know, a lot of times when we're obedient, God gives us a lot of those things anyway. He likes to keep us trusting Him. I think one of the main reasons we all want to be millionaires is so we don't ever have to worry about money. Or is it because we don't want to have to trust in God? And God wants us trusting in Him. God wants us you know, living by faith. And if He just did that, we wouldn't have to do those things. But we've got to find out what God's calling us in our life. We've got to be the very best that we can possibly be. And then we've always got to be faithful, or always be available for God to use. You know, my dad always gives this illustration. My dad, it, it was not uncommon many times to see him. I remember as a kid growing up, and he never could find a hammer around the house. And he had these shoes that had pretty hard heels on them. And he would nail things into a wall with screws. My dad, my dad and this is true, you know, I talk about this too. The butter knives at our house were usually all bent and mangled on the ends because he was always using them for a flathead screwdriver. And, and, you know, and mom would get mad at him for, you know, destroying all these things, you know, using these things for unintended purposes. You know, why did you use a butter knife to screw that screw in? You know what he would always say? Because I didn't have a screwdriver. The screwdriver wasn't available. Yes, the screwdriver would be better, but I didn't have one. I used a butter knife. And my dad, he always referred to himself as kind of a butter knife Christian. Yeah, there's a lot of people that could do things better than the way I'm doing it, but you know what? They're not available. And there are, there, there might be, you know, there's people out there that would be so much better at pastoring this church, but they're not, they're not around. They're not available. So God's use me. You might think, hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not that great. I'm not. I don't have what it takes. But hey, are you available? Because you know what, that screw, that butter knife still would get the job done. That shoe would still get the job done. It still would accomplish what needed to be done. Yeah, it was a little. It was a little more difficult. You know, it's a little. I think some things that I do are a little harder for me than that than they are for other people because of you know my. Uh, I want to. I'll call them disabilities. That way, I can be a victim. Uh, you know, my you know my mental disabilities that I have. You know, I'm not going to blame it on the fact that I didn't work hard enough in school and I played more video games than I should have. You know, it has nothing to do with it. I was just born this way. Uh, I can't help it. Uh, I need government help. But anyway, um, you know, God wants those who are available, those who are ready, those who are there, and that's one of the main things we ought to do in our life. Make sure. We are available. And with all the examples we see in the Bible of people that God used, we, there should be no reason any of us think that God can't use, use us or anyone else for that matter. You know, we should never give up on ourselves. We shouldn't give up on other people. We just need to trust God and endure the process. You know, thank God He didn't cast away people like Peter. Peter, the cussing fisherman. 
The one who denied Jesus Christ three times. Jesus didn't cast him away. He didn't throw him away. You know what? He kept him around. He used them. And then we see Peter preaching on Pentecost. We see 3,000 people being saved. Thank God he didn't cast away Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. You know how, you know how she was when Christ found her? She was possessed with seven devils. Demon-possessed woman. Jesus Christ turned her into one of His disciples. Not one of the twelve, but it refers to her often as a disciple. He didn't cast away her brother, who He found dead. Think about it. Her brother was a rotting corpse, dead four days. He smelled. But you know what? He raised him from the dead, didn't He? He still used him. Thank God He didn't cast away Paul, the persecutor. Paul, the chief, or Saul, the persecutor, Saul, the chief of sinners, he changed his life. He saved him, turned him into Paul, who became maybe the greatest apostle. Thank God he didn't cast away Matthew, the tax collector, the IRS agent. They should all be cast away, right? Aren't they all reprobates? No, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He said, Follow me. And notice he made him quit being a tax collector. All right, think about that. But that's another message. You know, he didn't cast away Thomas the doubter. He didn't say, "Thomas, you doubted me." Boom, you're gone. He didn't. He gave him another chance. He used him. He didn't cast out Simon the Canaanite, one of his disciples, a Canaanite, a Canaanite, and he used he used him. The Canaanites they were they were bad people, but God used Jesus used Simon the Canaanite, the woman taken in adultery. She deserved to be stoned. But you know what? Jesus saw a woman that needed forgiveness. And who knows what she did with her life after that. Thank God He didn't cast away the woman at the well. Hey, you're a woman. You've had five, you've had five husbands. You're living in adultery right now. I'm casting you away. No. He saved her soul. He changed her life. And she helped bring her town to Christ. Thank God He didn't cast away that maniac of Gadara who was possessed with a legion of devils. The rest of society had given up on him. They tried binding him with chains and the chains couldn't even hold him. He would break him. He ran in the tombs naked. Everybody forgot about him. Nobody could tame him, the Bible says. But Jesus, He didn't cast him away. He went and He cast those devils out of him. He saved him. And then you'll see later when Jesus went back and visited that area, there was a multitude of people waiting to see Jesus. He doesn't just go casting everybody away. You know, because he sees what can be, he can take them and he can use them. And if he can use people like that, he can use anyone in this room to do great things. We've just got to stop looking at ourselves, the clay, and we need to look at the potter who has the ability to take us and make us into a vessel of honor. And I hope that's your desire today, to be a vessel of honor. There is no reason why you cannot be. If you will just submit to God's will, He can use you and make you into something great for His kingdom. So with that, let's all stand together. A vessel of